as you turn there, Philippians chapter 3, 17 through 21. If you're physically able, will you stand with me as I read the word? Brethren, join in my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. That's the word of the living God. Would you please be seated? We've been going through this, and we've been going through a verse-by-verse study of Philippians, and coming from Philippians 1, 3, as partners in the gospel. And we come to this place here, and we, uh, last week, began what we'll go over, God willing, in the next couple of weeks, and that is, in, in our church culture, we have compromised the gospel. And because we've compromised the gospel... We've not shared it accurately. And because we've not shared it accurately, we've got the feigned surface level commitments to prove it. Let's just face it right now. Let's be honest about it. If the church in America was as big as she boasts herself to be, America would not look like America currently looks. There is no way that you could convince me that if the church in America, the professing church, the confessing church, and the real church were closer in number that America would not look vastly different than she looks today. There's been a great falling away, and part and center to that is that the way we share the gospel is in essence made us enemies of the cross. Now the reason we're pivoting from this scripture here is this. The cross cannot be understood, embraced, appreciated and the Savior who died there really trusted and worshipped until it is seen in the light of the just character of God. See, we don't start with the fact that God's just. We, we go over and almost apologize for His justice and move straight to the cross and expect someone to bow down in surrender and commitment here when we've not shared with them the eternal truth of the just and holy nature of God. The leagues at which God would go to purchase us are not appreciated or understood until we understand the lengths of which we are separated from Him because He's holy. See, we start the gospel with the nature of men when the center and peace of the gospel should start with the nature of God. And we talked about last week, we, we, we shared this verse, and it's Isaiah 45, 21. And it says, Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me. A just God and a Savior, and there is none beside me. See, if you take this and you apologize for the justice of God, 
And don't do and use the law to show us to be lawbreakers in sharing the gospel. And you jump right to belief in Jesus Christ, then people will go, they'll just chew chewing them and go, hey, hey, the apostles and all them, Jesus, I believe all that. And because we've done that, we have gutted the gospel. Half the gospel is no gospel. And the gospel, the first word of the gospel, the very first word of the gospel is not believe. The first word of the gospel is repent. It is repent. Why is there a need to repent? Because God's just. God is a just God. He will not compromise His nature for anyone. God is holy. He's separate from all that's evil. I, I made a big deal out of it and I apologize for it, but last week I got caught up in the message and forgot to reference a verse I asked you to look up up front. It's Habakkuk 1.13. Habakkuk 1.13 is the verse. And if you want to go look there, we'll go look at it right now. You probably got your Bible still marked there. I made a big deal out of that and never did go back to it. Listen, I'm 50. Okay? I'm going to start using that. Excuse away a bunch of things. Alright? When God put His Son on the cross of Calvary, when God poured out His wrath on His blessed Son three hours into His six-hour time on the cross, the world became dark all over. And Jesus looked up into the heavens and He said, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? And he, what He was saying was, Is God the Father... And God the Holy Spirit turned their back on God the Son for the very first time ever. As a matter of fact, that's the first time it's ever happened and praise His holy name, it'll never happen again. And the reason He did that was for this verse. It's the truth in this verse. It says, You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. So what did God do? God took all of the sin of mankind, and He placed it on His blessed Son. And He turned His back on Him and poured out the full measure of His wrath on His Son because God cannot even look at evil because God is a just God. That's why God turned His back on His Son. That's the key. It was, it, was, it was because of my sin. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. If we don't preach repentance, if we don't preach the judgment of God, and if we don't start with the holy nature of God, then we wind up with a gospel message that does not call for somebody to believe in a Savior who spilt His blood on the cross for the unworthy, but they, we can suddenly build a case that God should have died for me. After all, I'm a pretty good guy. If we don't measure our lives by the divine standard, we're left with nothing but looking at me and you and comparing ourselves to each other. I'm okay, you're okay. We, with not, when we don't use the divine standard, there's no brokenness. When we don't use the divine standard, there's no contrition. There's no littleness. It exalts men and not God. We start out with the fact that you have felt needs. You lack purpose. You don't have vision. 
you, you, the gospel becomes a therapeutic message for people who are really not all that bad to begin with. Nobody goes to hell because of lack of purpose. People go to hell because they're sinners and God has decreed He will judge sin. This is what we've done to the gospel. We start out with the character and nature of God. We don't start out with man. The gospel is to be Jesus-centered, not man-centered. The gospel is a message that displays His glory and shuns any attempt to seize it for ourselves. The cross was not for worthy people because there's no such person. The cross is for sinners. The Bible declares that we are four things. When Christ died for us, we were without hope, without strength, helpless. We were sinners. We were ungodly. And we were God's enemy. That's who He died for. If you take the justice part out and you gut the gospel, the house falls. We've preached a false gospel. We start out with the fact that God is a just God. And when you understand that God's a just God, and He obligated to punish sin for eternity, and you hear the, the, the chilling news of the gospel, and God's call to repent, then, as the Holy Spirit begins to quicken our hearts about God's just and righteous nature, and exposes us as, as, as being the sinners that we are, then you're interested in what God did to reach and redeem and save you. John Stott said this, and we'll get more into this. Don't miss this. This is about not only the gospel ourselves, but it's about sharing the gospel. He said this. He said, before you go to Jesus Christ to be justified, you need to go to Moses to be condemned. But when you go to Moses to be condemned, don't stop there and let Moses send you back to Jesus to be justified. What he means by that is this. We declare the law. We declare the law in the gospel presentation and we use the law to expose an unrighteous person to be the sinner that they are. And then in brokenness and repentance as the Holy Spirit works in their life and heart, that law, which was not designed for righteous people, the law was designed for unrighteous people. The law is not for righteous people. Did you know that? The law is for the unrighteous to show them to be unrighteous and then we send them to Calvary for us to, to, to believe in a Savior. The whole thing falls apart if it doesn't start out with the, the character and nature of God. And He says it right there. Why did God give the law? We're, this is review. Why did God, at the same time when God went on Mount Sinai and He gave the law to Moses, He also gave him the tabernacle. He gave him the law because God's just. He gave him the tabernacle because God's a Savior. He said, you know what? You're going to break the law. I'm going to go ahead and write out the tickets. But I'm going to give you a way to appease my righteous judgment through sacrificial animals offering in the temple according to a prescribed order. Why? Because there's a preview of coming attractions where God would one day spill his, the blood of His precious Son. If God's salvation in Christ and the activity of the cross is not seen is not seen. It, listen to this. If God's activity in reconciling men and women to Himself through the gospel of His Son is not seen in the light of His just and righteous character, then the cross does not become an act of sacrifice. It becomes an act of murder. 
God becomes a tyrant father who not, not, did not sacrifice his son, but killed his son. Because you can't explain the cross except for the fact of the holy nature of God. God is not a tyrant father. He did not murder His Son. He sacrificed His Son. And He did it because He loves you and I and He did it to display His glory. Hallelujah. 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 Now, last week I used my personal testimonies to illustrate this truth. And I'm going to use two biblical testimonies this week. And let's go look at them right quick. Like Isaiah chapter 6. It's a real familiar one. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. You know the story. You know the account. The reality. The real event here. This is when Isaiah got saved. This is when Isaiah not only got commissioned and called, but this is when Isaiah got redeemed. This is, this is a prelude to anything that God was going to do in Isaiah's life to make him a prophet was the fact that he had to, had to clean him and make him... A whole man, make him saved. The born again experience of Isaiah. Look at it. In the year, verse 1, that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. Because the Bible says in Hebrews that our God is a consuming fire. And Isaiah said, Woe is me! For I am a man undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We talked about this account many times. Isaiah, a prophet. He stands and sees God, and rather than saying, God, aren't you proud of me? I'm reporting for duty. Prophet number one. Big shot prophet number one. And what is his response when he gets a vision of God? That word woe is translated from a Hebrew word that's the strongest word of condemnation that the Hebrew language can give us. And it means, he literally said, send me to hell. I've seen God. That's why the Gospel starts with the character and nature of God. What he encountered up there was is that he saw that God's holy. And that he saw a righteous God in front of him and he called for judgment on himself. And he took that which was probably the most righteous part of his body and used that to demonstrate his unrighteousness. I'm a man of unclean lips. Oswald Chambers said, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. If you, if you, he said, he said, hey, listen, the cleanest thing about me, that, that which I could boast in the most is unclean. I'm dirty. I'm filthy. I've been, I've seen God. The gospel is to be presented so that we get to see God. Because when you see God is the only time when you can accurately see yourself. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We haven't plumbed the depths of evil yet. The restraining power of the Holy Spirit is the only reason why we've not killed each other already. 
And the holy nature of God, he saw God for who he is. He said, I need to die. Kill me. He wouldn't wait for God to decree that judgment. He called upon it himself. You know what that is? That's repentance. That's repentance. I agree with God. You're righteous and I'm not. And your righteous judgment upon me, I'm worthy of. That's what repentance is all about. A change of mind. God, I agree with you. I thought I was okay. I showed up. I got to see a vision of you, and as soon as I did, rather than boasting about my prophetic ministry, I'm ready to be killed. And what does God do? Man, this is awesome. Let's don't stop there. He said, Then one of the seraphim, verse 6, flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. What is that what is that altar a picture of? It's a picture of the cross right there. It's a picture of the cross. And right there, right there after being given the gift of repentance, what does he do? He believes in God's witness concerning God's son and deems it to be sufficient for him and gets saved right there in front of heaven. That's faith. The gospel is repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. It is not repentance toward God, period. It is not faith, period. It is repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. It is a cry of mercy out of a broken heart through the law of God to show us to be the unholy people that we are and call out to a holy Savior who spent His Son's blood on Calvary in brokenness and repentance. And the moment that that faith is expressed to God's Son, there is forgiveness, there is justification, there is a seal for eternity, there is salvation. And so when He went and took that tongue from the altar, took that tongue and took that coal from the altar and touched His lips, it was a preview of coming attractions. It was Calvary. It was one day God's going to spill His Son you put your trust in what I'm going to do. They look forward to Calvary. We look back at it. It's faith nonetheless. Because we're saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works that any man should boast. And so he was saved. That's a repentant man. And look what God says after that. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall sin? Who shall I sin? And who shall go for us? Who is us? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Then I said, here, I, here am I, Lord, send me. He's ready to get dispatched. Because why? He'd been cleaned. Why? Because he'd been granted repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. Why did he repent? And why did he put faith in God? Because when he looked up and saw a vision of God, he saw the character and nature of God, and that exposed his unholy character. And in so doing that, he was all too willing to receive the gift of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's look at a New Testament example of this. Look at Luke chapter 5. This is when Peter was saved. Luke chapter 5. You children out there, 
it's, it's, it's my prayer. And I've been, I want, I've been wanting to do this for months. Just to buy two permanent banners. I told this to Gary one Saturday morning. Just buy two permanent banners right here. And make them up real nice and all that. You have to put up with this. Because that's my artwork. Sorry. But I want to, I, one day, I want to have a banner over here that says Isaiah 45.21. God's a just God. And Isaiah 45.21, He's a Savior. And for the rest of your life, I want you to be able to remember in your church that you looked up there every Sunday and saw the character and nature of God and the gospel expressed of the character and nature of God. If you die knowing that and having that ebbed in your spirit, hallelujah, this church will have meant something to you. Now, this is important. As a matter of fact, there's nothing on the face of this earth that's more important than this. And when we go here and we look at the character and nature of God, and we look at the character and nature of God, and we look at both of them, then we see the whole picture of God. And this is the whole message of salvation. It is glorifying God and not man. It exalts Him, and it's based on and derived from an understanding of His character and His nature. We don't get a vote. God created man in His own image, and ever since then, man's been trying to return the favor. Look when Peter got saved. Luke chapter 5. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out from them and were washing their nets. Remember that. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to pull out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered him and said, Now look at how he addresses him. Look at how he addresses him. Master, Master, Teacher, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Let me just tell you, give you a little bit of sense of what Peter was experiencing here. This is what he's thinking. He ain't said this, but it's what he's thinking. <laughs> I appreciate what you just taught. You smart guy. You're our teacher. You just laid down some incredible truth. But let me tell you something right now. I know this lake. I've been fishing this lake all my life. Moreover, we just took hundreds of yards of net and we have washed it thoroughly and put it in the boat. And now you're asking me to throw it back out there. And he's grumbling and griping the whole time. He's throwing the net out there and he's getting madder by the minute. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. Fish! If there were fish out there, I would have caught him. If there's one, if Nemo's there, I would have got him. You don't know what you're saying to me. And he's just getting all contorted in his spirit. He's all messed up. He's mad as a hornet. He's saying, you're making me waste this time. I know what I'm doing. Leave the fishing to me. You handle the teaching, I'll handle the fishing. I've got this under control. And Jesus said, no, go over there and turn it right. Put it right back over there and put it on the other side in the deep. Okay, Master, watch this. Verse 6. And when they had come down, had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both their boats so they began to sink. Now watch this. And when Simon Peter, look up for just a second. Don't look at the rest of the narrative if you don't mind. When Simon Peter saw the load that they just got, he said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Jesus, aren't you proud of my faith? I didn't want to do this. 
And I was a little bit contorted in spirit, but I threw it out there. I'm pretty good. I listened to you. And we got us a catch. And now we'll live the rest of this year off of this one catch because me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. Aren't you proud of me? I'm telling you right now, I provide the nets. You're the debt finder. We'll get to this together. We'll earn a living and we'll put everybody on the lake out of business. We'll start a monopoly and it'll be over with and I'll be a millionaire. And I will have helped you and you will have helped me. Thank you, Master. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know what he said? Look at his response. Verse 8. When Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Isaiah said it this way. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Peter said it this way. Jesus, please leave because what you just did was is you exposed how sorry and how rebellious and how nasty of a person I really am. And I cannot stand to be around you. Not because I don't want to be around you. But I just know because of my character, you can't stand to be around me. You know why? Because he saw right there at that moment when he pulled in that load that God's a just God. And Jesus was more than a teacher to him at that moment. And you know what he did? Look what he says to him in verse uh, in verse in the end of verse eight. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Oh what? Lord. Lord. It was teacher a couple of verses earlier. Now it's Lord. You know why? Because he came in contact with the holy nature of God. And when you come in contact with the holy nature of God, the only thing you're able to see about yourself is your sin. And when you see yourself as a sinful person, you not only expect the judgment of God, but you call for it because you know yourself to be deserving of it. And then God in His gracious mercy turns around to him and says, Peter, listen, I'm not going anywhere because I'm going to make you fisher of men. There was repentance when he asked him to leave and it was faith when, he, when Jesus said, I'm not going anywhere and neither are you because you're going to follow me. And that was repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. Acts 20.21, 20, the Apostle Paul said, I've gone everywhere preaching this message. Repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. Here's what we preach. Faith toward Jesus Christ. If we get around to mentioning the cross and if we get bold enough to mention His name, we preach faith toward Jesus Christ. Faith toward Jesus Christ. And in so doing that, we gut the Gospel because the Gospel begins with repentance and then saving faith toward Jesus Christ. He's a just God and He's also a Savior. Okay, now stick with me and hang on. And we'll close that out. Look at Luke 11.42. This is all over the Bible. All over the Bible. Look at Luke 11.42. Jesus in His harsh words for the religious Pharisees. Look what He says right here. But woe, you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. You know what he's saying? You pass by the holy nature of God. You pass by His justice because God's just. And you pass by His love because He's also a Savior. 
That's what he was saying to him right there. You've missed the point. You guys have completely missed the point. The preaching of the gospel is the character and nature of God, not the character and nature of man and our felt needs. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Colossians 1, 28. This is the gospel message right here. This is the responsibility of a preacher of the gospel. It is the duty of a gospel preacher. It is the duty of a Christian to do exactly what's encouched in this verse. And here's what it says. 128. He's talking about Jesus here. He said, we preach Christ. And look at 28 verse 28. Him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. You know why he's saying that? You warn people because God's just and judgment is coming. And you teach them that God spilt His Son's blood on Calvary's tree in order to take His wrath out on His dear Son. And by repentant faith in Him, you escape the righteous judgment of God. The Gospel is not just about teaching. The Gospel is about warning. If there's teaching without warning, then belief just becomes a feigned surface level assent in the mind that that's who Jesus is. I believe in Jesus. But I've never trusted Him as my Savior. It's not saving faith because it's not born out of a repentant heart. We warn and we teach, but we've slipped into a mindset that says we just teach and we avoid the warning. Because it's not popular. And how do we warn? We use the law to do that. That's how we do it. That's how God does it. And you say, well, you know what? There are instances in the Bible where somebody said, just believe. I'll show you one of them. We'll, we'll confront it here, right here. Let's go to Acts 16.29. You'll be familiar with this one. Follow me to Acts 16.29, will you? Acts chapter 16, verse 29 is a famous, famous... Have you ever heard the song? Listen to this song. William Newell, I told you the story about William Newell, and he wrote this song called At Calvary. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. Was me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burden so found liberty at Calvary. Ready? I will say this. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God disband at Calvary. I right, watch this one. You ready? Right, I'm going to say this one. By God's word, at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned. Till my purposeless soul. Is that what it says? Purposeless soul. My felt needs. My victim past. My, no, 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 watch, 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 watch. By God's Word, the law, at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled. Why would I tremble? You know why I would tremble? Because God's just. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned. Watch it. Till my guilty 
soul, imploring turn to Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. That's a cat head biscuit from the griddle of glory. That's exactly what happened when you and I got saved. Then... I trembled at the law I'd spurned. If you downsize God and make Him some grandfather from heaven who killed His Son for nothing, there is no trembling involved in that. The Bible says even the demons believe and they've got sense enough to tremble. So when you go, now watch it now. Stay with me now. Watch it. Watch it. You say, wait now, wait now. Hold on a second. Acts Acts twenty twenty one. Wait, don't turn there. I'm just going to quote it. Is re- salvation is repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. It is repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. If it's faith toward Jesus Christ without repentance, it's not salvation. If it's repentance without faith toward Jesus Christ, it's not salvation. It's both. And you say, oh, there's an instance in the Bible where somebody just believed. Watch. Watch the narrative carefully. Let's be honest with our Bibles, okay? Watch it. Luke's, I mean, Acts 16. This is the account of the Philippian jailer when he got saved. You ready? Watch it now. Watch it. Verse 29. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down how? Trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved. And what did he say? You know why he said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Anybody? He was already trembling. He was repentant already. No need to cover that ground. The guy was repentant. What must I do to be saved? Implication? I know I'm lost. You cannot get saved unless you first know you're lost. No one has been saved all of their life. You have to know that you're lost before you can ever get saved. And he said, what must I do to be saved? And what must he do? Put faith in what Christ did. Answer, nothing buddy. There's nothing that you could do. But guess what? What you couldn't do, God did. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen? Then I trembled. At the law I'd spurn, till my guilty soul employing turned to Calvary. Hallelujah to his name. No use to say repent and believe the guy had already repented. When the Holy Spirit gives an invitation, people, you don't have to tell them how to be saved, they ask you how to be saved. When the gospel's handled properly, you don't tell them how to get saved. They ask you how to get saved. And if they're not asking, don't answer it. I was talking to a guy, Andrew and I were at uh, Lowe's the other day. And I went through the law. And he held on. Held on. I'm a pretty good guy. I said, wait just a minute. Hold on one second. And we kept talking about the law. Trying to use the law. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. I don't normally do this. But don't miss next Sunday. Don't miss next Sunday. 
please, because we're going to talk about the proper use of the law, not only in gospel witnessing, but in the, in the life of a believer. We're going to talk about that because there's so much confusion about that. All right, now listen, here's the... Wait. This guy held on to the fact, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a pretty good guy and God's going to look over my sin. And we walked away from him. I never mentioned Jesus' name. I never mentioned the cross. I never mentioned anything about God's redemptive activity through His Son. <gasps> That's heresy. You tell you why it's not heresy? Because I probably could have stood there in that aisle and talked him into a non-salvation commitment so I could go back and tell the church, I led somebody to Jesus this week. They prayed the prayer. He prayed the prayer. I walked away from him unrepentant and he was twice the son of hell that I found him in. That's what he would have been. We turned around and I said, you know what? If you ever want to know what God did about it, and if you are ever anywhere approaching, admitting that you're a sinner, call me at that number and I'll tell you what God did about it. But we didn't say a word. And we walked away. You understand? There's no sense in, there's no sense in talking to Him about that. I might as well be talking to Him about the Sputnik program or NASA or something that I have no idea about. Because he has no idea or appreciation for the cross until he first realizes how desperately he needs it. What do we do? We jump right to the cross. We've got to resist the urge to do that. You say, don't preach the cross? Oh my goodness. Preach the cross to the repentant. But until they repent, it means nothing to them. And then there's salvation. So I want you to know something. If I were you, if I were you, if I were you, Dad, I'd do everything I possibly could to teach my family this truth. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. They're going to be raised, and they are being raised in a church culture that's apologetic for God's justice character. We're apologetic for God's holy nature, and we try to excuse it away using every little philosophical trick that we can use trying to apologize for God being God. So much so that we're willing to even admit that He's God, that He's just, so that we can run right there and show everybody His love. Shame on us. Oh, now watch this. Romans chapter 5. Are you with me? Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. What a wonderful verse. What a wonderful, wonderful verse. I can't get this to stay up here. But what a wonderful verse. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Brian and I the other day, he was reflecting back on that verse. It was one of those verses that God put on his heart for a couple of days and he couldn't get away from. You know how God will get, put a verse on you? You know, and you just keep going back to it for a few days or weeks. Sometimes it stretches further than that. And we were reflecting on that verse and the glories of the truth of this verse. If I tell my children and people who are closest to me that I love them all the time, but I never do anything to show it, it casts doubt on whether or not I love them. Doesn't it? Is it love an action word? Doesn't love do? Okay, alright. Well then God got that covered right here. Now carefully follow me right here. I would take my children every day through this little question and answer thing if I were you. This is what I would do every day. Every day. Until it was embedded in their heart and they knew it like the back of their hand. Now, watch this. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, you know the verse. It says, But God demonstrated His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated His love for us. End it while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
All right, let me ask you this. When he demonstrated that, what aspect of his character in doing that was he demonstrating? It's one of them. You've got to pick one. The answer is only one. Huh? No? Not with that. Yeah, he did that to satisfy his justice. But it says, watch, watch the word. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, right there, he demonstrated that he's a, he's, a, he's a Savior. He demonstrated his saving grace toward us as sinners. Now, look at Romans 3.25. Turn left and go to Romans 3.25. You ready? Now, this is the first time the word demonstrate appears. The Romans 5.8 is the second time it appears. But the first time it appears is Romans 3.25. Are you ready for it? Arguably some of the most precious words in the Bible. Talking about Jesus, whom God set forth. It doesn't say who the Roman guard set forth. It doesn't say who Pilate set forth. It doesn't say who an angry mob set forth. It doesn't say who the Jewish religious bigots set forth. It says God set forth His Son. God sacrificed His Son. And what did, what was, what did He do? In, for, as a propitiation, means mercy seat. It means to appease. It means appeasement. That word means appeasement. That God's judgment was satisfied on unworthy sinners through the death of His Son. Okay? It says, to demonstrate, by His blood, through faith, to what? Demonstrate His righteousness. Okay, so in Romans 3.25, God demonstrated that He's just. And in Romans 5.8, He demonstrated that He's a Savior. You got it? Are you all with me? Romans 3.25, He demonstrated He's a just God. He's righteous, that He might be just and the justifier of those who put faith in His Son. And then in Romans 5.8, that He is a Savior. Here's where I would go through with my children. I say, all right, sweetheart, can you tell me? <clears throat> According to Isaiah, you write down these verses, you don't have them written down already. According to Isaiah 45, 21, God is a, a just God and a Savior. Okay, according to Romans 3, 25, on the cross, God demonstrated that He is just through the death of His Son. And therefore, men need to, according to Romans Acts 20, 21, repent. Okay, now... In Romans 5.8, according to Romans 5.8, God demonstrated on the cross also that He's a Savior and therefore men need to believe, place faith. You see it? You go through that with your children every day and they'll understand the Gospel. That's it. God is a just God and He's a Savior. According to Romans 3.25, God demonstrated His justice at Calvary because He maintained His righteousness, but yet forgave the unrighteous. He's just and the justifier of those who have faith in His Son. God's a just God. Because He's just, and He demonstrated His justice on the cross of Calvary, men need to repent. Okay? And then also on the cross of Calvary, according to Romans 5.8, God, God is a Savior. And because He's a Savior, men need to put faith in His Son and believe. According to, because according to Romans 5.8, that's where He demonstrated His love. And then we understand the very essence and nature of salvation itself. Now, next week, God willing, we're going to take the law and we're going to use it lawfully.
The Bible says the law is good if somebody uses it lawfully. But here's what we do in Christian circles. We take the good law and we use it unlawfully. And I'm going to show you how next Sunday. Please, 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 if you possibly can, don't miss next Sunday. Because we're building a foundation here of sharing the gospel. And we've got to be complete with the gospel. We can't share half of it because half of the gospel is no gospel at all.